Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the From the Stands podcast. I am Sean, joined as always by my brother Ian to talk about different topics in sports. But, Ian, we aren't alone this time. We are here with our first ever guest of the podcast from the AHL's Iowa Wild left winger, Michael Liambus. Mike, how you doing, buddy? Thanks for coming on. Yeah, great. Doing great. Thanks for having me, guys. Great having you. Hey, I, I, so I got I to gotta know right now, where are you right now? Are you in Toronto? Are you with your family? Oh, we're in Des Moines, Iowa. Um, we, we were planning on going to uh, San Diego for the summer. Um, just because we kind of, you know, with Bodie not being in school and stuff yet, um, we're able to spend the summers wherever we wanted. We didn't want to just go back to Toronto just because that's where we're from or I'm right. from. So we were going to go to California. We got a taste of it while we were out there for the year a couple of years ago. And it's just the best. Nothing better. Oh, it's the best. We were two blocks from the beach, watched, walk the dog every day without shoes on or a shirt. Like it's just great. But that kind of blew up with all this COVID and this COVID happened in California was kind of crazy with numbers. And we didn't want to think like, like traveling and moving our family in the middle of a pandemic at right at the beginning of it was smart. So we decided to stay here in Iowa. We got a great setup here. We have a like this four bedroom bungalow on a two acre piece of land. And it's got a lake in the neighborhood that everyone in the neighborhood has access to it with beaches on it and stuff. So we're just, we're really enjoying our time out here. That sounds incredible. Now, since you are out there, I got to ask about, first of all, let's start at the hockey side. What is it like playing in Iowa? Now, obviously when you think of traditional hockey markets, you're thinking of the Canadian markets um, you know, maybe the New York's or the Boston's, things like that. So what's it like being out in Iowa? Um, it's actually unbelievable. I, I can say that Minnesota and Iowa have been the best organization I've ever been a part of as far as how great they take care of you and your family off the ice. And um, they don't cut any corners. If anything, they go over and above in every situation possible, like with food, with, um, you know, hotels with meals with everything they just go over and above with personnel like we have everything at our fingertips massage like every tool or or little gadget like they just go like above and beyond and then our fans in Iowa have been sweet like we have a sweet rink the Wells Fargo Arena downtown's like can hold like 14 or 15,000 people and we never have that much um, unless it's like maybe a concert night but where they do concerts after the show or after the game but um, we'll, get like an, we'll get at least 6,000, four to 6,000 a night. And then playoffs last year just grew a whole bigger fan base for the city. And playoffs was sick. It was bumping. And we were looking forward to it this year. Like it's, it's been nothing but amazing since we got here. So. so before we jump into your path to the NHL, because I think that is, listen, man, like normally most players follow a similar pattern. It's drafted, developed, promoted to the show. And your story is not that you do not have a linear story to the NHL. Like that is the simplest way to put it. We're going to get there, but we're on Iowa. So I want to stay there really quickly. You mentioned, obviously the HL season has been canceled, right? Iowa had the second most points in the entire NHL. When this happened, you've been a part of a lot of professional hockey teams. And I know I saw your tweet. You felt that this team has a chance to do something special. Yeah. What was it about this team that was different? What did you feel well, was coming? You play on a couple teams that, you know, throughout your career that have great chemistry off the ice and kind of show it on the ice and you, you're kind of close to it and you can have like a push in the playoffs. But this team that we had this year was just, 
we had every single piece and we all fit together perfectly off the ice. We were like a huge tight knit family, which was the best thing because it shows on the ice and we all cared about each other and we had so much fun off the ice. And when we were at the rink, we had our work, work boots on every day, like Tim Army is our coach and he made sure you earn your paycheck every day you're at the rink. Right. But we, in saying that, we had the worst travel in the whole American League. And there were multiple times this year where we had two days off in a row after a long road trip or something. So he makes sure that, you know, we're, we're working when we're there and we do work. Like, kudos to everyone for, for showing up. But, and, uh, but then when we have our days to, like, our days off and when, when they're needed, um, they're given to us. So um, it, was, it was a great mix of everything. We had, like, Sam Annis and Jerry Mayhew. Brandon Manel, like arguably three of the best, like Brandon Manel, the best defenseman in the league as far as points wise. Sam Annis, leading scorer in the league, Jer I mean, point getter. And then Jerry Mayhew, leading goal scorer. And Jerry played like 39 games or 40 games because he was kind of up and down in innings. Right. Like, that would have, like would have had 50 goals this year, hands down. And then Capo Kakinen, the MVP, like the goalie, like the best goalie in the league. Like you get the MVP for the league for the goalies or something. So you're saying Minnesota, you're saying Minnesota's set up is what you're saying. Minnesota's got some good ammo down here, and uh, it's just unfortunate that you know because when you go through a playoff series and every, each series goes by, like you, your young kids, you know it's experience and it's really valuable experience because even last year, first round against Milwaukee, we outscored them 13 to one in the first two games, and we're up two nothing going into Milwaukee for Game Three. And it's the best three out of five in the American League first round. So we're like, all right, we got this, basically. And then we get spanked in game three. And then game four comes around and we get spanked again. And then it's like, holy crap, it's 2-2 two -two and we're in game five. Like, if we don't win, we're done. And we ended up winning. It was a tight game. But, like, you grow so much as a hockey player when you go through those experiences. Right. For their young guys that are having so much success, it, it was going to be a huge – learning experience even for me as an older guy you know you're always learning and, and getting better and even for me like you, you develop when you go through playoff battles like it's, it's unfortunate that's all we want is that's what we want for the Leafs Mike we want them to get through yeah, that hurdle, yeah. everybody it's, well, we, did, didn't, we didn't even get a team photo this year which really sucks oh because, that's brutal oh. yeah I know it was just it was coming around the time that everything got canceled and it was just it didn't happen and, and that sucks and it's always going to be like what if what could have happened you know with that team because with the AHL, there's so much turnover every year. Sure. That just never have, I've never had the same team once, and you never will. Well, and, and Sean did mention, Sean did mention that obviously your path isn't necessarily the same as, as a lot of other guys. And I think that's sort of what makes it special, right? Is that everyone's journey to the next level is different. And yours has gone through, you know, multiple different stops, trades, you know, uh, picking your destinations to be a free agency, things like that. Um, when, when you all got started, when you were at St. Mike's, was that really like the starting point of like, Hey, I know this is something I want. I'm going to go get it. Um, no, man. Like I, I never thought I would play in the NHL. I thought it was cool to be playing hockey and cool to be at St. Mike's because I would, would love to try out for their hockey team because I knew they had a good hockey program. Mm -hmm. And I went to like under 14 tryouts at St. Mike's and I was like, okay, hey, there's no way I'm going to make this team, but I'll go. And then after every tryout, they post like a list of players that are going to the next tryout and stuff. And I kept looking and like, I was still there. <laughs> and then I got to the final one and I'm like, oh my God, like, there's no way, like out of all these kids that are coming for hockey, basically like to make this team. And I ended up making the team and I was just like blown away. I couldn't believe it. 
And I think ever since that moment I made the team that I kind of started believing in myself that maybe, maybe, you know, maybe I'm good enough in hockey to like play with these guys that I You were an underager too, weren't you, Mike? Well, with the buzzers I was. I'm talking about under 14, like grade right, seven, right. eight hockey at St. Mike's. That's incredible. Um, yeah, yeah. So it's cool. And then I didn't think I would make the varsity team, you know, when you get to grade nine and 10. And, and mm-hmm. I did. And, and we went to offices and ended up losing in the semifinals, I think, which sucked. But it was a cool experience. But yeah, I think making that under 14 team, to be honest, Mr. Lee was. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. I don't remember the other coach. Um, uh, DeLeo? No. No, Trinity no, was football. He was a redhead. Oh, the, the science teacher. No. Well, he, oh, some science teacher cut me. That, that's, when I, that's when I found out. Mr. Walsh. That's it. Yes. Yes. He, was, he wasn't my coach, but I know he might have done hockey after at some sort. But. Yeah, Sean got the axe hard. No, he, no, he held me on as a basically a practice player because he was hoping some junior kid came down to play. So that, that's where I ended up. But I deserved it. But, Mike, back to you, buddy. Yeah, I don't know. That's – Well, and – and and again, you know, you did have you did have stops, um, but as you progress throughout your career, from what it looks like, you were invited to Leafs camp in 2010. Now I don't know if you grew yeah. up a Leaf fan, you know, I, you know, yeah, you, from you the Toronto, you're a Leafs fan. No choice. Yeah. So I need to know what that was like because as well, kids from Toronto, for so us, much. I couldn't imagine. There's so much of a backstory to that that I'd have to like lead into that because there's there's so much that went into that actually happening. Okay. Um, which I mean, it's pretty cool because when you really break it down, you have so many thousands of decisions every day, and every little decision you make changes your course in your life. And I look back at things like if certain things didn't happen, where it, like where would I be? Like I wouldn't. Like maybe I wouldn't have the family I do today and all that stuff from right. one decision that went a different way or something, you know? Of course. So there's a lot that goes into someone's journey and someone's path like you guys were talking about. And a lot of guys like Sean, you said that like you get drafted, you go through the minors, you get mm-hmm. anchored, and then you get ready and groomed for the NHL. And that definitely, I, I never got drafted for the OHL or the NHL. Like never been drafted ever. Not even a junior. <laughs> Like, that's just, unbelievable talking about going to st mike's like i never thought i could even play for the under 14 team so i was kind of maybe that worked for me because maybe i always thought of myself as the underdog so it maybe worked right. hard maybe maybe i don't know like maybe i was from a young age playing a psychological game with myself and it worked out i'd say well, it worked out pretty good things happen for a reason mike and you yeah. know you, you don't like you said, if there can be one string in history that doesn't happen and you may not be where you are today, whether it's personally, professionally, whatever that case may be, but you know, it's, you just gotta be thankful for all that stuff. And uh, and someone, I don't know if it was my dad at one point asked me if I ever regretted anything because there's been so much shit that happens throughout your pro career after training 11 years, you know, and I just looked at him and I kind of thought for a second and I was like, how can I even say I ever regret anything that's happened in my life? Like, look at the beautiful wife and kid I have and dog. Right, and exactly. Like, yeah, there were some terrible, terrible times, but like, look where I am right now and what it led to. Like, how can I ever regret that? Because if I don't go through those things, I'm not the person I am and I don't have the life I have right now. Well, I think outcomes you can, sure. regret, you can, you can look back on and think about that you didn't, you wish it didn't turn out that way, but that's not the same thing as regretting decisions or, anything that came out of that. And I think that, I think that that's, uh, that that's extremely fair. 
And, you know, I, I know that you went to Erie. I know that uh, I, <laughs> I heard you were able to come back to St. Mike's yeah. at, at the well, end of all that. So when I was in grade five in elementary school, or no, grade six in elementary school, there's this kid, Alex Valise, who's one of my best friends. Um, he told me his parents were going to the St. Mike's like open house to get information about it. And I heard about St. Mike's. I was a cool school and everything for hockey and everything was in a private school and all that. And I was so naive. I didn't even know you had to pay for it. Um, but I'm like, Hey, can you get me like an info pamphlet? <laughs> and like the next day he shows up at school and he's got an info pamphlet from St. Mike's for me. So I go home and I show it to my parents and I'm like, Hey guys, like hey, Michael bought me this, like got me this home from St. Mike's and I, can we look through it or whatever? Like I want to see if we can go there. And my parents told me that there was an entrance exam and it cost a hundred bucks. And they're like, well, you can do the exam if you want. And they eventually told me, I don't think they actually thought I would get in. <laughs> <laughs> and I got the acceptance letter and like, I got accepted into St. Mike's. And then again, I'm just like, there's no way I thought I was going to get accepted. But Grade I seven, Mike? Pardon? Grade seven, you went? Or sorry, yeah. great. Uh, yeah, grade seven. Yeah. On your yeah. after grade six, you write the entrance exam and all right. that. during grade six or I don't know what time, but. Yeah. And then anyways, I ended up getting in and then my parents were like, well, like it's, I think at the time it was like 6,500 a year. It's like 20 grand now or even more than that. But, <laughs> Is it really? Yeah. But um, they're like, well, we can't afford to send you a private school. Like we didn't plan on this. And then a couple of weeks went by and my manager for my minor hockey team came in the room and was like, Hey, my, your parents wanted me to tell you that they figured it out and you'll be able to go to St. Mike's or whatever. And I was oh, so happy and like, that's amazing. I still don't know how they did it. Um, but they made it work. And like, I think it like a hundred percent changed my life for the better. And I'm so glad it happened like that. Cause then it led to the under 14 team making that team. And then it built the confidence in myself and then the varsity team. And then like, kind of, I've been a good student. So I did really well in school and stuff and enjoyed it. It was just, I have nothing bad to say about going to St. Mike's. I really loved it. When did you go from D to forward? uh when i got called up to the ahl you played defense the your entire <laughs> junior career yeah my last year that all that stuff happened was like my third game playing forward because they were going to turn me into a forward that year and um then when i went to the east coast league after all that i ended up going back to d so when then, you went to cincinnati because yeah. that's where i want to transition to here so you, you went to cincinnati well, okay, when I'm going to start, I'm I'm start in junior. Do you okay? start wherever you want, Mike? Hey, this well, is no, your so, show. Okay, so great. So the dr OHL draft comes and goes, and I didn't get drafted. And I was so oh, surprised because Gary Colts told me I was going to get picked in like the fourth round or something. And then something, I just didn't end up getting drafted, and I was crushed. I thought like, oh, fuck Barry. Well, whatever. No, it's not a big deal. <laughs> no, we, 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 we were yeah, there a lot. That's why I said yeah. that. <laughs> um, but anyways, I didn't get drafted, so I ended up playing minor hockey again the next year, my midget year, I think. Um, oh, no, I actually ended up playing underage for the buzzers. Right. The year going into my draft year, okay, okay, this is what happened. <laughs> going into my draft year, I ended up playing underage for the St. Mike's buzzers, and I was a defenseman, and I had the puck behind the net, and we were playing Collingwood. They had a bunch of older guys. I don't remember what happened, but I got knocked out cold. I had the puck behind the net, and someone came the other way, like, <laughs> like I do a million times now. When a defenseman wheels behind the net and I'm horsing the other way. Right. That happened to me and bundied me and I was just out cold. Don't remember anything. Still to this day, don't remember anything from it. 
Um, and then I didn't play the rest of the year. I played a couple minor hockey games, but that's it. And then, but I was still told I would get drafted and then it just didn't end up happening. Um, so then I played minor hockey for the Nats that year, midget. And then Gazdick um, got drafted to Erie. Um, and that summer I got invited out to Erie's camp in like August. So I went with Jane Gazdick, me, Luke, and Jane, his mom, took us down to Jamestown, New York, where training camp was, because my parents were on a cruise ship. They already had a cruise plan and all that. <laughs> and the, only deal, the only promise they made me say was, was that uh, I wouldn't play an exhibition game unless I was signed to a contract with a school package, because then you give up your right. scholarship rights if you play an right. exhibition game. I think it's smart. Game, I don't know. And so it got to the point in camp where it was like the night before the exhibition game and Sherry Bass and the GM wanted me to play the game the next day without a contract. And I was like, Sherry, like my, my only promise I made my parents was that I couldn't play unless I had a contract. And he didn't want to sign me before that. So I packed my stuff and I was going to go home in the morning with Jane or something like, or Mike, like um, oh. dad. And in the morning, um, Sherry or someone came up to me and told me to go see him and they ended up offering me a contract and I played that night and I got in a scrap and it was just it was great like I I got into my very first scrap in Erie's training camp that my best buddy Ryan Ludzik set up who's a goalie there or was a goalie because he said boss you got to do something to set yourself apart from the guys that were drafted so he set up a fight for me in an inter-squad game it was the first fight I've ever been in my life and I just waxed the kid he was a couple of years older than me too. I didn't know what I was doing. I closed my eyes and I swung and I whacked him a couple times like real good. And I was so physical. I was hitting and, and I ended up making the team, which was pretty cool. And then because I fought in camp and I think they liked that side of it, they didn't have that on the back end. They had Luke up front to do that and then me on the back end. And we also had Anthony Peluso up front too. Um, but then, uh, yeah, I ended up making the team and then to – stay in the lineup every night I just kept fighting like me and Luke like kind of traded off fight for fight back <laughs> to back whenever he would fight I would fight um before you yeah. jump in here have you fought Luke two times yeah he knocked me out cold once um Milwaukee versus Austin first round of playoffs in game three Jamie Oleksiak was wheeling behind the net remember yeah. was playing defense yeah. and wheeling behind the net and I was humming the other way Oleksiak six foot seven like 260 and I just put everything right through his chest separated both of his shoulders I went down too because he's such a big human and Gazzy standing over me he's like bossy like we're gonna have to go for that and I'm like yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah and he had me strung out I couldn't hit him and the moment I switched literally I didn't even get to grab him yet the moment I went like this to go switch to the left he was cocked and he swung and just hit me right on the chin and I just went rigor mortis, like arms stiff, neck stiff, thank God. And I went right back on my back. Well, you're buddies. So how does that yeah. – sorry, Ian, I know, I know I haven't let you jump in here. I apologize. But, like, like, do you guys text after the game? Like, hey, man, how you doing? I'm like, curious, yeah. too. I'm curious, well, too. After – or when all that happened, there was still time in the game, and Gaz was supposed to go to the box. But he skated right off the ice. And like his teammates and my teammates knew we were best buddies. So they knew he was shook. Like everyone kind of like when someone gets knocked out in a fight, like it's like, you're not cheering for it. Like it's no. regardless, even no. if it's your guy. No, it's brutal. It. Yeah. It's a shitty feeling. So Gazzy actually skated off the ice, undid his skates and like ran into our locker room and our staff were freaking out thinking he was snapping and coming in for revenge. Cause they, oh my God. 
and he came in running the doctor's room to check on me and stuff and they're like oh my god you guys are buddies and i don't remember any of it because i was just scrambled eggs but um it was fine man like it's part of the game it's his job it's my job and yeah. and i'm trying to do the same thing to him so um it just happens but is, other time sorry is there one that stands out is there one that stands out of you know, maybe, you know, is there when of an opponent that you fought that was like, this is crazy. This guy is gigantic yeah. or well, you know, I'm like never that? scared before a fight. I'm never scared to fight anyone because like the worst that's going to happen is really happening. I got knocked out. I have plates in my face, broke my face. Like you're always going to heal up. And love the that only attitude. Guy, the only guy that ever gave me butterflies in my stomach was Steve McIntyre. He's the biggest, scariest human I've ever seen in my life. He's like 6'6", 260 pounds. And we were playing Oak City. He was, he was in uh, Oklahoma City for Edmonton's farm team. And I was my second year in the AHL. And the first game, we beat him 5-2. He took a couple penalties on me that we scored on and, like, waxed him 5-2. And all that night, I couldn't sleep because that, that night, I'm like, I can't let him fucking bitch me around. And that whole night, <laughs> I couldn't sleep. The next day, I couldn't sleep couldn't take like couldn't eat for pregame meal and then first shift I get out there and we're in the off our we're in the offensive zone so their end he's playing winger like defensive zone wing and I go and very lightly tap him on the shin pads and I said Mr. McIntyre I said you want one and he looked at me <laughs> like, are you fucking serious and I was like yeah he goes okay kid buckets off center ice I'm just <laughs> My coach was Dean Emerson, and he, he was saying to like, Lambo, what are you doing? In his head, he used to talk to me after. And um, he grabbed me, and I threw two half-ass punches. Couldn't reach him. He's six foot seven. This guy would kill me. Like, he could put a hole through your face. And he grabbed me and swung and hit me a couple times, kind of like not right in the kisser, but in the head. And he grabbed me. He had me with one arm. He grabbed like my jersey here and then he stopped and opened up and grabbed me like this and was like choking me out with my jersey his grip was like vice grips in my hat i went on my heels and went down on the ice because i was like this guy's gonna kill me i'm gonna die this really isn't the direction that i wanted to go in with this conversation but i well, have to, i have to ask i have to ask as you're fighting coming from a human being who is the softest guy going okay you, you all you have to do is look at me and i'm falling over okay as you're fighting, is there a code or something that you understand? Like, this is what the, the goal is obviously not to literally kill a human being, but is there a code where you understand, like, this is when I stop, this is what I'm aiming for? Well, with most guys, there is. Um, I can, I've been in over 200 pro fights, and I can tell you, I've been mad and like wanted to hurt the guy, maybe, maybe two or three guys the entire time. Okay. Okay. Most of the time, it's within the dynamics of the game and everything. But then, and most of the time, no one's doing anything too stupid. But when someone really does something really dumb, emotions. Like then, when the wires cross, like you're trying to hurt them, you know. When at that point, but most of the time, I'd say ninety percent of the time, like you don't want to see someone laying on the ice hurt after. Like Gallant this year hit me right on the kisser, like hit the reset button quick, went down to one knee, and I get in the penalty box and I'm sitting there, I'm wiping my face, and there's blood. And I like feeling my face and I eventually my finger goes in through my lip and I just have a huge gash right through here, right through my lip. 
And basically like he hit me and he didn't keep hitting me. You know, I kind of went down to one knee and he stopped and checked, made sure I was all right when the refs came in. Like there's a, there's like a, it's a gamesmanship. Kind of a bond That's incredible. Yeah, yeah. Guys that do it. Even though like I've spoken to Galia, fought him and his brother many times, but like you have a relationship off the ice because you respect what each other do. Right. And like on the ice, neither of us are going to jump any of us because we're just straight up about it, you know? And like, there's a, it's, it's, it's crazy to say, but it's, it's really controlled and it's really, um, it's not just two guys just randomly swinging them as hard as they can and trying to kill right. each other. You know what I mean? Like it's kind of structured in a way to say not structured where it's set up, but it's more so like there's respect for each other. There's a time and place to do it. You're not going to jump a guy that you respect and everything. Like it's just, you put things in the memory bank cause you play each other multiple times throughout the year and all that. But I, to get back to the Steve McIntyre thing, I fought him. The only reason why I did, I knew I was getting my ass kicked, but the only reason why I did is because he was the only guy that ever made me nervous. And if I can survive against a guy like that, I would never be nervous to fight anyone. And I've never have been since like not even Curtis McDermott. And I knew he was going to beat the shit out of me, but I fought Curtis McDermott with a broken face. Jesus. Well, we're going to get back to your, to your path here. And there's two parts of your path that really intrigued uh, Ian and myself. The first one is you've been traded before and yeah. it was in the, is it just once Mike? Once. Yeah. And it was, it was, it was in the ECHL. First off, how does that go in the ECHL? Is it just like a, Hey man, you're getting on the other bus. And from what I understand is there's a bit of a story here. Yeah. Well, Mike, in between all this from junior to that, there's a lot that went on. But once I went to the IHL after junior, um, Jared Scaldi was a coach there. Long story short, him and his wife and his kids took me under their wing because I was a 20-year-old kid playing in the IHL. The next youngest kid was 27. It's glorified men's league. It was a joke. And Never heard like, of the IHL, by the way. Yeah, well, it's not Ian, have you heard of it? There used to be. It used to be pretty big. Yes. Okay. 2001 i think it folded right yeah but then there was the new ihl that yes came out. Yeah. yeah um so uh he ended up getting the head coaching job for the cincinnati cyclones and after i was at ubc after i got kicked out as junior and then went to the ihl um okay i'll, I'll go to the trade and then i'll come back to the other stuff because i got to talk about like mike do whatever you want just start start here we're gonna get to the trade. Oh, no so so as far as the trade goes, Scaldi like was my coach in Cincinnati during the lockout season. So we had like 28 roster spots guys there and then, and there couldn't be that many. There was guys that like, just, we had so many guys and the first, I got scratched the first couple games of the season and I was so rattled about it. And I got put in a game and I got an assist and then I absolutely bundied someone and got a three game suspension for interference. So I'll, my coach was torn because if I, if he kept me on the active roster, then I, I had to serve the suspension. Then someone else had to go because there was too many guys there because of the lockout. So he had to trade me, and it was either going to be to Alaska, or uh, to Orlando. And after tough call, Mike. It's tough after call. He, well, I love Alaska too. Alaska's but, beautiful. But he told me, he said, "Boss, I had to trade you." And I had to trade to Orlando because if I trade you to Alaska, Imakalaka is going to kill me. Which means <laughs> <laughs> she's going to kill me. Because <laughs> so he, he, he was a family friend, right? 
not a family friend. He or he knew your family. Because my parents appreciated him and his family taking me under their wing. So, yeah, my family got close with him. And, got and it. He's a big reason why I was able to play in NHL or pro hockey at all, continue my career after all the bullshit in junior. That's pretty special. Yeah, yeah, it is. And I still talk to him to this day. Um, but anyways, I'm going to, like, after junior, all that stuff, I, and I got the boot, I went home for, like, three months. And after I got kicked out of the OHL and just kind of, let things settle and see if I want to play hockey again. And the year before, after my third year junior, I had two hip surgeries. So I only played five games at the end of the season, Oof. just because Rick Dudley, the was the assistant GM for Atlanta Thrashers at the time. Yeah. He wanted to bring me to camp next year. So he wanted me to play in a couple extra games. So he brought me to the IHL, which Jared Scaldi was coaching and he coached Jared Scaldi. So like the hockey world's a tight knit, small. Very, yeah. So Dudley knew Scaldi because he was a GM for the team that he brought him on at one point mm -hmm. and Scald was coaching this IHL. So Duds had me go for, after my junior year, my two hip surgeries to go play in the IHL. And um, I played the eight games in the IHL, fought every game. Dudley invited <laughs> me to training camp the next year. And I was like sick in the best shape of my life. Came back after my hip surgeries, going to my first NHL training camp, thinking I'm gaining momentum after, you know, getting kicked out of the OHL, thinking my hockey career is done. Uh, I go to Atlanta's camp the day before I left. I was helping some kids in Erie learn how to fight for like tr uh, tr exhibition games. One of the guys fell and it snapped a tendon in my, it's called skier's thumb. He, I snapped a tendon in my thumb. It was like black and blue and I was trying to hide it. Uh. And basically, long story short, the, right before I was about to play an exhibition game against the New York Rangers, they brought one of those like live uh, x-ray machines in and the doctor just went like this with my thumb and it was like you can see it moving Jesus. And he was oh. like, he's like we can't pass your physical like you, you just can't and so they sent me home and i was just crushed i'm like oh my god i was just thinking i'm gaining momentum you know um so i went back to junior um rehabbed my thumb for those like eight weeks till it came till it got better and then I played those four games. I did the two points in the first three games. Mm -hmm. And I was like, hey, I'm going to have a great overage season. I'm going to get a chance next year. And then four games later, I all that stuff happened. You know, like, I got the boot. So because a year before I went and played for Scaldi, the only league I can go to was the IHL back. time because, of, because the ECHL didn't want me, the AHL didn't want me because of suspension and all the bullshit. Um, so... I had to go to the IHL and Scald was just like, Hey, if you, you know, I don't know where your head's at, but if you want to play, you got a spot here. So I chilled for a couple months, called him up, went and met him in Port Huron. I flew into Detroit. Uh, one of the part owners of the team picked me up from the airport. He had his goalie gear on his back. He's a full-time trial lawyer. And he was coming to Port Huron too, because they needed an emergency backup goalie. I'm telling Come you, on. it was glorified men's league, man. We had our equipment manager sharpening skates with his goalie gear on mid game. He could beat the Leafs too. It, I signed for $300 a week in the IHL after I got kicked out of the OHL. And my best buddy, Ryan Ludzik, was there as well, who um, was with me in Erie. So it was really good to have someone I knew. And um, I ended up playing 17 games. I fought 15 times because everyone just wanted to fight me after all that stuff. Holy fuck. Yeah, man. And then my 17th game, I got stepped on over my wrist with a skate. And I severed four tendons in my wrist, like my main tendons. And I woke up from surgery. It was the day before my 21st birthday. Uh, and I woke up, I had fishing hooks coming out of each fingernail and fishing wire halfway up my arm to hold my tendons so that they're not 
flexed while they're trying to heal for six weeks. And it was my second time where I was like, okay, like I'm probably done hockey now. Like I slipped my wrist with a skate. You've I, lived a life by 21. Yeah. Well, a full a person's of, life. I've been through a lot of shit that a lot of people never even go through in their life. And right. by the time I was 21, I've been through a lifetime of shit. But like I said, I don't regret it because it made, it made me who I am today. So um, can I ask you something? When I'm looking at, you're playing with the Bloomington Prairie Thunder, right? Yeah. So I'm showing here, and this could be incorrect. I'm showing 17 games played, 115 penalty minutes. Because I'm telling you, everyone wanted to fight me. I was fighting. That is, that is a staggering number. It was a jungle down there. Like, it was fucked. Like, it was like... <laughs> so then I'm... So how did, how'd, I'm you get to the, how'd you get to the ECHL from there? So I'm in the IHL. I got my wrist stepped on. And I'm like, all right, this is... Yeah, a day before my 21st birthday, and I was just in a different place. I'm like, all right, like maybe something's telling me higher power that like I, sh- I gotta take a different path here or something. Like maybe hockey's not for me. Um, so I stayed in Bloomington that summer to rehab my wrist, and I had a shoulder surgery as well because my shoulder was already like my labrum was torn. And I was just Jesus with it. Christ. So I rehabbed all summer there, and midsummer I got a random phone call, and I picked it up, and it was Brian Burke. He goes, hey, Mike, it's, it's Brian Burke calling. And I was just like, what the fuck? I looked at my phone. I was like, who's fucking with me right now? Truculence. Yeah. And he goes, I think you got a raw deal. And I think you took a bullet for a thousand people. And I think you handled it like a man. And I, for that reason alone, I want to invite you to training camp. Rookie camp. He told me rookie camp. And I was Come like, what on. is happening right now? And it just gave me a whole new jolt of energy and life and meaning to, because I was at a place. That is incredible. Of course. Dragged my family through the, like family's name through the mud, like, you know, getting kicked out of junior all over sports news and then going to the IHL, getting my wrist stepped on. And I was just at a point where I was like, I'm done. Like I got to do something. And then Brian Burke calls and it's like a whole new jolt. Like, all right, here we go. I'm getting after it again, you know? So I get in the best shape of my life that summer. And I go to training camp, the rookie camp. They're having a tournament in London. And I ended up fighting twice. A guy was going after, Eric Greiba was with Ottawa, and he was going after Kadri. And I changed for someone on the bench. I just changed for someone random that came <laughs> off. And I went and fought Greiba. And then I fought someone else at Bundy, Dale Mitchell. And after rookie camp, they, like, had a meeting with me. And they gave me a tour of the Air Canada Centre. David, not David Foyle. Um, Nonis. Dave Poulin. He told me to meet him at the Air Canada Centre. And I'm like, holy shit, this is sick. And I'm meeting him at the Air Canada Centre. It's they a dream. Tour, they gave me a tour of the locker room, tour of the weight room, like everything. Showed me around. And he sat me down. And he's like, we love what you did at rookie camp. He's like, we're going to bring you to main camp. And he's like, I had the same conversation with everyone. Um, but he's like, I told Fraser McLaren. Fraser McLaren was there. Jay yeah. Rosehill. Um, Colton Orr, Colton Orr. Oh, Mike, three of you Mike, on a line would be fantastic. Mike Brown, Mike Brown was there. Mike oh, Brown is and his legendary mustache. Richard Greenoff is like one of the toughest guys in junior. Was the toughest guy in junior. And he's like, I talked talk to all them. We don't want any fighting in training camp. We know you guys all can fight. And yeah, yeah, you know where. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very first inter squad game. Jay Rolls Hill. It's me, Colt Nor, and Greenoff on the same team, Jay Rose and Brown and Colt and Jay Rosehill is the only tough guy on the other team. And 
he bundies Gunnarsson from behind and me and Greenop were on the ice and we just looked and like nothing happened because we're all like, fuck, they literally just told us we can't fight. And we get on the bench and Orzi looks over and both of us and he goes, hey, he's like, something like that happens. You got the green light from me. So next shift, I went out <laughs> after Rose Hill and we just squared off and he hit me with a left. I didn't know he was a lefty and he cut me open right over my eyebrow, but it was sick. Oh my God. But the next day, Toronto Star, front of the sports section. Bad boy, Mike Liambus disobeys Coach Wilson. And oh, my God. In Rose Hill. It could have been the worst possible spot for me to go to camp after all that shit that happened because you're right in the center of it. It was terrible. Right. Um, I had lunch with Dion Phaneuf one day at the rink, and he told me I was doing great and, like, it's going to work out here. Like, there's going to be a chance for you and stuff. And then the very next day, I literally get to the rink and I my bag's packed and my sticks are taped and I'm just like swallowed my heart and like instantly could have started crying because I'm just like, I thought this was going to work out after all this shit that happened, you know? And I thought it was going to be my fairy tale ending, the Leafs and everything. Right. And someone grabbed me, like your gear's packed, you know what's coming. And someone grabbed me, like management wants you to go upstairs. And I sat around a table with all of them and they talked. I didn't say a word. I did not say a word the entire time for like five minutes. And I shook each of their hand when I stood up and tried to break each of their hands when I shook it. And I walked out the door and I remember I started crying and I called my brother, William, he came and picked me up. And the very next day I woke up and I told my parents that I thought about it last night. And I said, I'm going to go to university of British Columbia. Like there's, they said they had nothing in the HL for me. They said they had nothing in the East coast league for me. So I'm sitting there being like, I literally don't even have a job in the East Coast League. Like, I'm done. And UBC, I talked to earlier that summer just to go out there for a visit. I'd never been to Vancouver. never thought I'd even go to Canadian University. I just went for the visit. And I had everything lined up with them in case. And I, I'm glad I did because that very next day after I got released from Leafs camp, like school already started three weeks prior. Mm-hmm. And I called the coach and I was like, hey, I'm coming tomorrow. Book me a flight. And I packed my hockey gear. I packed a hockey bag full of clothes. I bought a backpack and I went to UBC and I did not know a soul. And I was in, it was a tough year. Like I was in such a different place mentally because of the suspension. Like yeah, the bullshit. Atlanta yeah. Thrasher's camp not working out and then rehabbing and then getting kicked out of junior. Then going to the IHL, getting my wrist stepped on. Then going to Leafs camp. It's almost like I, I have build momentum and then it gets taken away, you know, right. and so after the Leafs camp, I was crushed because I thought it would work out. And then I went to UBC and I was just in a different place, man. Like I, I, I had to see someone like once a week just to talk because I'd wake up probably five days out of the seven days of the week. And I'd like to start crying when I woke up from bed. And I wouldn't know why, but it was just because I think I loved hockey so much and I really wanted it to work out that. I was just like crushed because I didn't know what I was doing with my life at the time. I didn't know what I was doing. Like I just wanted to get away from everything. And it was just, Mm -hmm. it was a really difficult time. But But you did, but you did it, Mike, you did it. Yeah. But at the end of the day, like I kept in touch with Jared Scaldi. He called me once a month to check in on me and he was coaching Cincinnati at the time. And he told me every single time we talked, bus, if you ever want to come play, you have a spot here. And I talked to my parents over Christmas break and I just kept thinking like all I can think about is playing hockey. Like I want to play hockey. So I finished my midterms at UBC, went over Christmas, talked to them, came back, 
played out the season. I knew, I knew I wanted to go play. I told Scaldi in like January after Christmas. I was like, I'm going to come yeah. play, but I got to play the season out. Like I can't leave midway through the season. I made a commitment. Right. So this last game was like February 22nd. I said, have a flight for me on the 23rd. I had my apartment packed and I had everything packed. The very last game, weekend games were against the University of Alberta. First Friday game, one of their guys sticks me right in the nuts and I go down and he's chirping me, like standing over me, chirping me. And I'm like, I'm leaving already. And I'm like, fuck this. I that feels like a bad idea to do in. that. <laughs> I reel and then drop my shit. And I just like three punched him right down, blood everywhere. Just, and I skated off the ice, unpacked my shit, like took my shit off and I just left the rink. Was he one and, of the three? One of the three guys you were okay hurting? Uh, yeah, not really. I didn't. It, yeah, you didn't feel yeah, great. I didn't you didn't feel him, great after. It's, it's yeah. different in pro than it is because I didn't know him. So yeah, I wanted to watch right. him for what he did. At right. Now, if you tell me about it, I wouldn't care. But no, no. Um, I ended up getting suspended a game because you just you can't fight in Canadian University. You get one game suspension. That's what it is. But you're out of there anyway. The University of Alberta coach calls the TSN person next morning on the ticker. Mike Leambus banished from from call it uh, Canadian college hockey for one oh game. My God, for brutally attacking a player, and I'm just like, holy fuck, this is all starting again. Like Jesus Christ. And anyways, Canada West commissioner called me personally, said they're taking care of it. They ended up firing this University of Alberta coach because he started all this bullshit. It looked bad on the league and everything for like Canada West sports. And he ended up clearing everything up for me, which was so, I was thankful because it's- Finally, finally. Someone's got you. Yeah, Yeah. someone's nuts. And to this day, I still have his number in my phone. and I'm grateful for him doing that because it was to start a shit storm. And this University of Alberta like is known for their hockey. And that coach won multiple championships and they fired him because of doing that. But you made it Wow. So you, yeah. you had you had four years in the in the E, right? You so were in the East got, Yeah. So I went to Cincinnati after that that season ended in uh, University of British Columbia. Mm-hmm. And I set it up with all my props because I was in kinesiology and I was in six courses and I set it up with all my props that I would keep in touch with them while I was gone and I would come back after the ECHL season finished and finish all my finals so that I got credit for all my work. Right. And I ended up doing that. I played out the season in Cincy and I came back to UBC, spent the summer there. I finished all my exams and I just cycled and like worked out and just spent the summer out there. And Best was, place to be in the summer. My God. Great. Yeah. And then from then I went to play in Cincinnati. That's incredible. That next year. Yeah. That next year I went to play in Cincinnati and, that year ended in February as well because of my finger. I, I broke my finger over Craig Revave was playing the fucking East Coast League to get his visa or something. And I bundied his defense partner and he came after me and I hit him right over the helmet and it just broke this joint and it's my finger stuck like that now at 90 degrees. So that ended that season short. And it's just like one thing after another, man. I've had like 10 right. surgeries by now. And how old are you right now at that point? 22. Holy not five, it's surgeries. one year not from ten, that. Not 10 surgeries by then, but it's, it was no. probably five by then. Like my wrist surgeries, my shoulder surgeries, then my finger surgeries were two of them. So it's probably about six, actually. So you're in the ECHL. You got over 300 penalty minutes just, just being bus. Yeah. 2012-2013, you're on the Admirals. Yeah, so um, my... Not the season I came from the UBC, not the next season I broke my finger. The season after that was when I started, played the one game, and then got traded to Orlando. 
I played in Orlando for three months. And my very last weekend I was there, they had me playing as a forward for some reason. So that's when it started? Well, Orlando, what I learned now was that Paul Fenton and Dean wanted to watch me play as a forward right. that week before right. they called me up. I didn't know that then. I just thought they were having me play forward for the weekend. Because these coast leagues, some days you'll have <laughs> three extra forwards and some days you'll have to call the guy right. and come play for you. You know, like we had a, in Cincinnati, we had a 52-year-old man that like ran Columbus hockey schools or a pro shop come and play for us. Um, yeah, like crazy. Um, yeah, so anyways, I played that weekend as a forward. Then after the Saturday game, my head coach, Drake Berhowski, told like in front of everyone in the room, like, boss, you like you're getting called up to Milwaukee Admiral tomorrow. And like everyone cheered and it was, I was so excited because I'm like, holy fuck, I'm like, finally, I'm like 24 and I'm finally getting a chance at the AHL. And then when they called me, they told me that the plan was to have me practice Monday to Monday to Thursday and then see about Friday's game. We were playing Houston. I practiced all week, went into the game in Houston. I was in the lineup, very first shift. Riley Grantham was the biggest, baddest dude on that team. Squared off with him, had a six scrap. Dean Everson said he loved me from that point on, and I played every game after that. I tried to fight as much as I could because that's how I stayed in junior. That's how I stayed in ECHL, and that's how I was going to stay in the AHL. That's how he helped me get me there. So I had to do what I had to do to stay in. And then in the meantime, I always refer to like me wearing a tool belt. Like I was always, I needed to start adding tools to my belt, penalty killing, face-offs, right. you know, all that stuff so that you're, so that you know, you make them want you so that they need you in the lineup. You're irreplaceable. Yeah. So, That's so what I had to with, make myself. You were three years with the Admirals. The Rockford year, was that free agency? Yeah, that was my first initial yeah. contract. So, Ian, I know you had a question about free agency. Why don't you jump in here, Bella? So, so, I, so one thing, I want to rewind real quick to Cincinnati. I got a buddy who lives out there. Um, can you tell me a little bit about um, what that scene was like? I'm a big food guy. I'm always eager to know like what's going on in various stages and places. Um, he swears by a place called Skyline Chili. Yeah, no, you're not. Okay. Not. It's like, so, man, it's like they put chili, it's like meat sauce on top of spaghetti noodles. Like it's, it's so weird. Okay, right. <laughs> I never understood That's it. Good. I never understood it, but or he swears if you go. You no, need it's, to go. It's, okay, yeah, go so that you can scream at him after. <laughs> or you can scream at your toilet bowl when you like 15 minutes later i can imagine i can imagine yeah. um so okay so I, ha I had to check on that now the the other thing so once you get to orlando once you get to orlando i another one of my many fascinations is i've always when i was growing up and you know wanted to play hockey right like almost every kid in this country I always loved the idea of playing somewhere warm. I always loved the idea and thought, how cool would it be to wear flip-flops to the rink? Was that oh, yeah. something that you thought about? Was that yeah. something you enjoyed or did you, did oh, yeah. it struggle, did you struggle to get into it? to the practice rink or something. Even San Diego, like San Diego was the coolest experience of our life, man. Like we lived two blocks from the beach. Like I said earlier, you walk the dog, right. shoes. you're driving a half hour to practice rink, but you're driving through the Cali mountains with your windows down and your team. Mm -hmm. Like, it's just, you get out of there and your body's not aching because it's not the middle of winter. You can go golf, you can go surf, hang out on the beach. Like, it's just, it's the best. Playing in warm weather is the best. Mike, did you look forward Everything to free agency? Did you look forward to free agency? Or was that, as it was like a new opportunity? Or was that something that gave, well, uh, gave you anxiety? Free agency was like, you're, you don't go through 
free agency until your first NHL contract is done. Sure. And I never had one, so I never thought about it. Right. My, my first contract, so after my third year with Milwaukee, um, they wanted to offer me an AHL contract for like $60,000 after my third year. I made thirty eight grand my first year. My second year, I made forty. My third year, I made like fifty, and then they wanted to offer me like a fifty-five or sixty thousand dollar contract AHL, and I had like multiple NHL teams like offer me NHL contracts and told them like I, I I'm going after opportunity like I'm young and I got it like I've been through all this shit I have to bet on myself, which was tough because I loved Dean Everson and I loved Milwaukee they gave me their chance, so once I told them they thought that because they were loyal to me and they gave me their chance, I would stay, which, you know, I, I appreciate everything they did. But at the end of the day, like I said, I'm betting on myself and I want to play in the NHL at this point. Um, so I tell them I'm not coming for that contract, blah, blah, blah. They wait a bit and then come back to me and talk to me. And I'm just like, I have multiple NHL deals and they weren't ready to offer me one. And I had one from Chicago that was enticing. It was the Blackhawks it was sick. And it was like 105 grand in AHL. And it was like almost $45,000, $50,000 more than the AHL right. contract Milwaukee was offering. So I committed to that. And I told them I was before. I was like, well, I'm going to commit to someone else that's like in your division. And I don't think they thought I was going to. And I did. And I, was, I didn't tell my parents or my brothers. And I just told them that I was coming home from Toronto. I was driving my parents. And literally the second I like drove into my driveway, I was getting a call from Peter Laviolette. And Come on. he's calling me being like, Mike, I thought we had this thing done. I just heard that it's not happening. What's going on? And I told him what happened, like, and everything that happened. And he's like, well, like, we really think we really want you here, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I wanted to be there too. You guys could have avoided all this shit, you know? And I, I was frustrated because I'm like, Peter, I'm literally in my parents' driveway to go tell them I'm signing my first NHL contract. And now I'm pissed off because I did want to stay with you guys. And now you're in this position at, like, I can't right. go back on my word. You know, like I said, the hockey world's a small world. Like if you go back on your word, like, it's, it's not good. Yep. Um, so that was kind of upsetting, but I ended up signing my first NHL contract and I was so pumped to celebrate with my parents and stuff. It was really cool. It was really cool. And then the next year, obviously, July 1st is free agency. Right. So Nashville's your first NHL game. Yeah. It's your first time up in the show. Yeah. This is a two-part question, Mike. How did it happen? And what was the biggest difference for you? Um, Because obviously you you train with these guys, Mike. Like, you're around them all the time. Like, you know the difference in practice. The biggest difference is between your ears. Because it is when you're playing with those guys, like I do all summer, usually with Matt, Matt's group, like you, anytime you're doing any competition or working, you're going to rise to the, to your biggest competitor, you know, like you're going to try to be as good as them, if not better. So by skating with these guys and working with these guys every day, you, you become on the same level as them. Right. So I know I could do that, but it's a confidence thing too. Like it's all mental where it's like, they do it every day. So it's like, when I come to American league camp, I'm not worried about my spot or anything. I'm not worried about anything. I know what I bring. I know what I'll do. But back in the day when I came, I was so nervous and stuff. It's the AHL. And like, I didn't have a role there yet or reputation. So you just like, I don't know, kind of just lay, lay low and just do your thing. I don't know. So how'd you get there? How'd it work? Um, So Dino told me, called me up to his office and, told me I was going to play in the NHL and I probably started crying and I went and told my parents and I was pumped and we we're going to Winnipeg. Okay. Tam and her mom 
Tam was, it was her first year coming down to live with me. Her and her mom drove from Winnipeg to Milwaukee, got in on a Thursday. Friday after our game, we had a home game Friday after our game, got, got the call from Dino telling me I'm going, going up and I was going to Winnipeg because they were in Winnipeg next. So Tam and her mom just drove from Winnipeg to Milwaukee and I was leaving to go to Winnipeg and they were in Milwaukee where I was. <laughs> <laughs> it's just nuts. Like, it's, you can't make this shit up. Honestly, you can't. No. None of this, like, this needs to be its own. I need, I'm going to write a book someday about all this you, stuff. You should, Mike, you we should. shouldn't have a podcast. You should. It, no. <laughs> so you've made it to the show. So yeah, so I'm in Winnipeg and my two, two my, my one good buddy, Robin Gomez, um, who I played with in Bloomington, he's still a really good friend of mine, him and his brother now, his whole family is great friends with me and I'm great friends with them. And him and his brother instantly flew down to Winnipeg because I'm like, all right, they're calling me up, I'm going to play. I ended up taking warm-ups and not playing. It was like an afternoon game, so it's not like I had the morning to play. I remember that. I, I remember it. Yep. My brothers came down, my yep. parents came. It was kind of shitty and then we went to Colorado and I didn't play which I'm thankful because it got bag skated and I could barely breathe in Colorado. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. And then we went back to Nashville. It was a one o'clock game on a Saturday, December 3rd. Okay. Brunch is like a big thing in Nashville. Well, I'm at the hotel and there's no food there. It was like a sh shittier Hampton Inn with like continental breakfast. So I get up, put my suit on and I cab it somewhere to go like find a place. And I get there and it's literally a lineup around the corner. And I'm like, geez, what am I going to do? So I found a restaurant that had no one in it. Great sign. And I ordered <laughs> steak and potatoes thinking, okay, I'll get potatoes and some protein and eggs or whatever. It comes out. It's literally fries and like this thin steak and, um, and one scrambled egg or something. And it was just terrible. And I went to the rink and I was just rattled because I, you know, you want to have everything set up and perfect nice meal and before the perfect game. Of course. Feel good. Yeah. You want to feel good for a game, especially your first game. It was going great, okay? The boys made me go out there with no bucket, Ribeiro and Johansson. They're like, you're not a 20-year-old kid to go out there with no bucket. I had a freshly shaved muzzy for November still. I had a fresh fade. And uh, I went out there with no bucket, and it was, it was so sick. I saw Steven up there against the glass and William taking photos. It was really cool. That is amazing. Now, now that you mentioned it, with me being the food questionnaire person, what is – we'll get back – I want to get back to the journey, but what is the perfect pregame meal then? Um, if you can do I, it I over, make, I usually make a white bass matter rice. And this year I actually, um, after watching game changers, I didn't eat any pro um, animal protein on game days. And I, it, I don't know, placebo or whatever. I thought it made my brain sharper and I thought it made me feel good, not lethargic during a game or before a game. I had more energy when I woke up, I was dialed. Like I just, so I started doing like marinated tofu and rice and just a bunch of veggies, like cucumbers, mm -hmm. um, spinach, tomatoes, some pumpkin seeds or something, and then like a cilantro sauce or something, and then eat that. And it's very specific, Mike. <laughs> well, that's I, I made that before every single of course. This, this year. And then the night before games, my wife makes me this um, pasta that my mom taught her, this Italian sausage all um, taken out of the casing with some like garlic and oil and tomatoes and spinach with some penne. A little bit of bread with some olive oil and vinegar and Mike, we're gonna get we're gonna get to some pasta questions <laughs> okay i'm telling you at the end of this we got some quick hitters it's part it's part of our routine here but um i want to ask you about the current landscape of sports wait and I gotta, no, jump that, in go go before we go. get into that that game in nashville okay 
warm-ups is great and everything. Yes, 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 yes. You got your fade. Okay, we're, we're facial hair's looking good. We're going into the second intermission, so third period. Lavi comes in. Okay, we're up 4-1 against New Jersey. Okay, we're rolling four lines. We've had a busy schedule. we got a game in a couple days. we got a road trip. We're rolling. First shift, our first line's out there. Boom, they go down, score. It's 4-2. Lines change. Second line goes out. Boom, they go down and score 4-3. And I'm sitting there on the bench. I'm like, Jesus Christ. Craig Smith, his line goes out there. Smitty took a penalty. They score in the power play. It's 4-4. I didn't play a shift the entire third period. I sat there. We go to overtime. We lose an overtime 5-4. I got sent down the next day. That's a bad omen. Like any coach or GM would do that. You know, you call a kid up and then that shit happens. It's almost like, all right, we got to like. There is a better ending though. Because before I get to the current landscape, because you're right. I did jump the gun, Mike. You do end up in Anaheim. Yeah. And before we get to what it's like playing in Anaheim, I want to ask you something. Do you read what people write about you? Um, I, I learned not to when I went through that stuff in junior. Because but does your, fa- does your family? Uh, I don't know. I'm sure my parents always do. They're probably always on the tube looking at stuff. Because <laughs> the first fucking thing that you see when you look up Mike Leambus is some prick Ken Campbell writing some oh, bullshit yeah. when you were in fucking Mike Anaheim. shouldn't be. Yeah, that, I, uh, I know. Mike has no business being in the NHL. Yeah, yeah I know. Yeah, I know. I exactly. Like, like he like, knows yeah, you. That's exactly where the fuck I am, buddy. Yeah, oh, I, I saw it today. It's, it's actually funny because, Ian, there was some bullshit that came out today in the, in the CHL about hazing and all that stuff. We're not going to ask you those questions. It's not relevant right now. Uh, and it's, it's ridiculous because he sends me the article. And the guy who wrote the article is Ken fucking Campbell. And yeah. I'm like, you don't understand. This is the guy who shit on the guy who's coming on our podcast later. Yeah, he's a douchebag. Honestly, <laughs> the first thing I see is you with a sweet muzzy fighting someone on Vegas, it looks like. No yeah, one has no one has a better muzzy than Mike Brown. Yeah, yeah. You got to give Mike Brown the muzzy. Every time I've been in the NHL, it's been during kind of November, so I've always had a muzzy. <laughs> <laughs> All my pictures, man. Oh, any, anything you want to share about Anaheim there, Mike? Cause I yeah, know so Anaheim was another story. Like it was San Diego was sick. I had a great start here at seven points in the first like 20 games or 24 games. Um, I had a three point night against Tucson one night and then got called. Dallas Eakins called me and told me I got called up to Anaheim. And I was like, Hey, sick. This is my chance. At it the leaf savior, Dallas Eakins. And yeah, the coach of the well, time is Carlisle, right? For Anaheim. Yeah. And so I'm like, all right, I'm going to run with this. Like, this is my chance. You're a Carlisle guy, for sure. I'm not letting this go. They had me up. They had Jared Bull there, and that wasn't in the lineup. I was playing over him. I was playing over Logan Shaw. I was playing over every fucking day NHL player. And the entire time I was doing it, I had a broken face. I had four fractures in my face. Because first game against Florida Panthers, Mike Haley. Okay, 100%. First shift, go out there. We look at each other. Don't even have to say anything. We both (laughs) Great scrap. I got the better of them. Had a good game running around because excited and stuff so i toned it down a bit took a couple penalties randy didn't like that got my pp slapped but i was in the next game against vegas and um i crushed brandon leipzig who i played with in uh, milwaukee for a couple years i crushed him and that will carrier comes after me and he starts lifting off or something we we get into a scrap and he hit me one time in this fight you can watch it you can see when he hits me he fucking hits me but it got me so amped up at the time because you don't feel shit you can get hit with a cinder block you wouldn't feel mm-hmm. and it got me so fired up i ended up pumping him with like five or six rights 
It was a sick fight. I'm in the room getting my finger stitched and I have a little slit over my temple area here. And he's in there getting his hand looked at because he, he broke his hand on my face. And I'm sitting there in the room. The doctor's asking me like, are your teeth okay? Can you bite down? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's good. Meanwhile, <laughs> I've got a fucking bone sticking up. <laughs> up and I showed him that and the trainer and they told me like, it's probably inflammation or whatever. Like it'll probably go down within the week. And I'm like, when it first got hit and I was in the penalty box or getting stitched actually, um, my, my eye vision was like cross-eyed and I was sitting there like this the whole time. And then eventually it was fine. And I went back out there for the second period, first shift for the second period. I absolutely crushed Carrier at the blue line, cutting across the blue line. Play the rest of the game. Next day is the fucking Thanksgiving, okay? I'm sitting for Thanksgiving with Tamara. Can't even eat. It took me two hours. I ate maybe a third of my meal, quarter of my meal. Couldn't even chew. Couldn't sleep on the pillow on my back, side, anywhere, because any pressure in my head was killing me. And not like concussion-wise or neuropsych-wise, but just like killing physically. Right. Going on. I knew, like, I, after all these surgeries I've had, like, I, and all the shit I've been through, like, I knew, you know, when something's wrong with your body, you know, when you're hurt or you're injured, there's a difference. Right. And then the next day after Thanksgiving, we have a afternoon game against the Jets. And I got my first NHL point, Francois Beauchemin. I gave it to him up on the point. He one-timed it, went right in, and I was pumped. Leafs legend. Yeah, and I always bring it back to the Leafs, Mike. You got to understand, I always bring it back to the Leafs. So at this point, I'm like sucking back carbon protein shakes because I can't chew anything for meals, everything, every meal. And after that, we get on a flight and we go to LA and we're playing in a Staples Center. Jared Bowles out, I'm in. The last time they played each other, Curtis McDermott, who's just as big as Mr. McIntyre. Yep. Yep. crushed Andre Kashe and Kashe was still out in his month later. So, and they take that rivalry so seriously. So for a shift, I'm wearing their end. I whack Mac on the shins. I was like, Hey, let's go. He's like fucking right. Cause no one would give him a fight. He's huge. You can see in the penalty box after that, they show my face. It's very black and blue and like so puffy. You can tell something's fucked the entire fight. I knew I was gonna get my ass kicked, but I had to do it. And the entire fight, I couldn't face him. Cause if he hit me square in the face, I already knew my face was fucked. And, I would have been in a lot of trouble if he did. So he, I was away the whole time. He must have hit me 15 times in the back of the head and then went down. And they show me in the penalty box. You can see how fucking buggered my face was. And then we go to St. Louis. You're play still playing? Still? Oh my yes, God. yes, yes. Well, I'm in the NHL, dude. You think I yeah, battled? No, 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 I, and I, after, I get it. I literally knew when that happened, I told Tam, I said, I can't say anything because as soon as I do, I sign an IR form and this will never happen again. I'm going to be done. And played in St. Louis. We were up three, nothing. Randy taps me. Hey, no scrap. And I was like, yeah, I know we're up three grip. And I was thankful because the whole time I thought I was going to have to square up with Chris Thorburn, which I wanted to do. I wanted to fight all these guys, but I was rattled. I had a broken face, but I like, it was, I was just so upset. So like kind of both times in the NHL have been upsetting because there was, like that game in Nashville sucked when we ended up losing. And then it's out of your control. Yeah. Anaheim basically had an expiry date on it that was taken down because I couldn't do this for too much longer. I was feeling like I was going to puke every day. So after the St. Louis game, I told the trainer, I was like, Hey, that's this thing is still poking out of my gums here. So they got the doctors to look at it and they didn't have the CT scan for the face and stuff there. So we stayed the night in St. Louis, went out for beers Next day, flew to Columbus in the morning, went straight from the airport right to practice, practiced for an hour, went straight from practice to the facial surgeon in Columbus, got my face scan, 
comes in, he goes, yep, you got a fracture here, you got one here, and you got, or you got one here, and then you got a big three one in here. And I was crushed, I was like, I'm done. Hey, and Mike, Mike, I know you would never say this as a fan of Mike Leambus. Just collect those NHL paychecks, okay, Bello? Okay. That, that's all I'm thinking about, okay? Well, yeah, but it, I was upset. Of okay. course you were, man. This is, yeah, this is your sucks. life. This is your yeah. dream. So I got back to the hotel. Trainer texts me, come to this room. Literally, paper, pen, sign the IR form. Here's your flight out in the morning back to Anaheim. And it was all done. But that night, I had one of the coolest dinners of my life. Um, BX invited me for dinner with them. It was him, Francois Beauchemin, um, Miller, the goalie. Um, He's a kid oh, wow. that plays in Boston. He's a Boston. Um, Brian uh, Ritchie? No, the other one. Um, played for he, Boston or went to Boston? He played for Anaheim and got traded to Boston. He played uh, – he's a great player, smaller guy. College oh, kid. fuck. I don't remember his name. Ritchie was the guy I thought of because he went there from this year. But. Yeah. Anyways, it's pretty cool last dinner in the NHL. was with Francois Boschman, Kevin – or. Mike, Mike may not be the last, buddy. And yeah. you know what? We were going to – people talk enough about what's going on today. Yeah. I don't want to go there. I don't care. I want to, I want to talk about you because you're, 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 you're the story here, Mike. And I have to say, the fact that you lasted – not to cut my big brother off. No, the fact that you lasted that long Seven and the games. fact that – you know, with all of that going on in your face and your entire career is a testament to everyone out there that decides at a certain point in their life that, hey, this is something that I want to do. And everything, everything, I mean, at this point, you're what? In 2017, 2018, you're not even, what, 30 yet? And yeah. all of this stuff has been thrown at you. And you're not, it's not beating you. And for oh. that, for that, you deserve all of the credit in the world. And yeah, like, you know, your face, you know, that's really shitty luck. Yeah. But at the end of the day, like, you should feel extremely proud. Agreed. Of everything that you came, that you came through. Agreed. Like, it's, it's yeah, incredible. I am. I am. And I'm happy I went through all that stuff. I wouldn't take it back because, I, like I said earlier, it's look at my life. Like, how can I ever take anything back that happened? Good no. or bad. No. You know, like, it's – I always say – you shouldn't have to ask someone what their goals are and what, where they want to go. They sh their actions should be able to tell you. You know, you can see guys in the American League who really want to play in the NHL, and you can see guys that just say they want to play in the NHL. You can see with their actions, with you know what they do, how they take care of themselves off the ice, how they take care of themselves at the rink, like what they show up early and the extra shit they're doing. Like you can tell by someone's actions where they want to go. So I I just firmly believe if you I just set something in my head and, you know, my parents both born in Greece and Italy, like all they knew is work hard and, and, and just be positive and work hard. And that's what they told me my whole life. And I think I was so naive to everything because of that, that it worked out because the whole time I'm just like, work hard, it'll work out, work hard, it'll work out. And that's all I knew to work. And to this day, I go crazy if I don't have work to do. Like I need something to do because you always got to work. Oh, we're going to get there. We're going to get there. Yeah, it's just engraved in me. It's ingrained in me. You know, like it's in my blood with my parents. All they know is hard work. And that's what I did. And it worked out. And it's definitely has. I don't know. It's just, it kind of, I don't know. It's, there's this um, thing on YouTube. Uh, Rich Kloon showed me. Rich Kloon is one of my really good buddies. And 
without, like I said, there's a group of people that, that they know who they are, but I know who they are as well that, you know, help me get to where I am in my life and hockey world and everything. And Rich is one of them. I probably wouldn't be playing if it wasn't for him. I wouldn't be playing if it wasn't for this group of people. And Rich showed me this thing once um, when I was going through some stuff called the way or the Chinese farmer on YouTube, if you want to look it up at some point. And it's like two minutes long. And it just basically shows you that there is no negative or bad thing or positive or good thing that happens. It's always like a maybe, you know, and it's like goes through, it has these, it's an animated thing too, and it's slow, but it goes through and it says like, these people come or the, their son, I don't even, I don't remember. I haven't fucking looked at it in a while, but how it starts, but it's talking about how like, okay, your son fell off the horse or, or sorry, this is how it started. My bad. These horses ran away from this guy's pasture, five horses. And the villagers come over and they're like, oh, I'm very sorry this happened, blah, blah, blah. Like, this is terrible. And he's like, his response was, well, maybe. Then the next day, these horses came back with like 12 other horses. And the people came back, the villagers, and like, oh my God, your horses came back. They brought extra horses. This is amazing. Good for you. Amazing. And the guy's response was, well, maybe. The next day, the villagers came by his son was on one of these wild horses that the horses brought and got bucked off and broke his leg and the villagers come by and they're like oh my god this is terrible do you need anything i'm so sorry this happened and his response was well maybe and the next day the conscript conscription officers came by for the war and they couldn't take his son because he had a broken leg and they're like oh my god this is amazing your son doesn't have to go blah blah, blah. and his response was maybe well maybe and it's just, you don't know in life, you know, you can't say a positive thing or a good thing happens because you don't know what's coming next to that, you know, and you can't say something bad happened because there's plenty of shit that happened in my life that I can look at as being bad, but look how great, like, it's not how great it is, but like, look, no, look where you are now, man. like, look who I am now, look how it right. shaped me, you know what I mean? So it's like, well, when you're going through that stuff, it's in your head, in my head, I'm always like, well, maybe, you know, maybe it's a bad thing. Maybe it's not because maybe it's going to lead me to this. And then it eventually leads to something way that surpasses everything you've ever imagined. So it's just life, man. I think that's with sports and in life, you know, you just gotta, Oh, he got called up the NHL. Well, well, yeah, it's great. Well, maybe, you know, well, he broke his face. Well, that's great. Well, maybe, you know, like you just, you don't know what's coming. Mike on paper, you live the Canadian dream. And that's why I think your story is so impactful is that people aren't, understand that to live that dream there's a million times infinity paths that you can take to get there yeah and your path is so unique as everyone else's is i think parents need to understand that you know that there's so much that goes into this working out that it's not just spending money on stuff on gear on the best gear on the best lessons coaches and lessons and all this shit your kids are going to get burnt out. They just got to have fun. And if it's going to happen, it's going to be up to them, not up to you guys. Like, you well, know, not, and that's why play. I know Bodie's in good hands there, buddy. Because well, Bodie, Bodie's going to play whatever sport. Whatever he wants. So happy. So let's, like we said, let's get a little bit more. Let's get a little more fun here, Mike. Your story is incredible. But we got a few more questions for you. You've been very generous with your time. Ian? I know you had a question about what he does when he's not playing hockey. Let's jump into that. Um, so I'm curious because I know a lot of guys, you know, they, they like to take their time away from the game. So um, 
when when you're not playing, are you are you one of those guys who's watching other games? You know, are, are you watching are you watching hockey? Are you watching sports at all? Or are you just like, I wanted I want to work on this, I want to spend time with my family, um, or or are there other ways that you spend your time? Well, I I kind of learned time away from the rink from playing in San Diego. Dallas Eakins really wanted to get us out of the rink for practice days so that like in and out so that we can go golf, we can go surf, we can go, you know, enjoy California. And I think that really helped because that was one of the, you know, arguably the best season of my career was doing great in San Diego and then great in Anaheim. And I think it was because once I left the rink, I checked out, like I was at the beach or like hanging out with Tam and the dog and like just doing something with our teammates. Like there's always something to do. It's 300 days of sunshine there. Like it's unbelievable. It's awesome. So like that really taught me to like that enjoying life outside the rink and not thinking about hockey really, you know, in turn helped me on the ice. So, um, I slowly over the last couple of years started kind of building a little, I've had a, a woodworking like hobby that has turned into a business and um, I really like working with my hands. My whole life I've, you know, built Legos for Christmas when we get them and then I'd finish mine and build my brothers. And then when we get RC cars, like remote control cars, my brothers would get theirs like fully built and ready to go. And like mine came in a box with every single part apart and instructions and I would put it together, you know, and like, um, so I always got to work with my hands and woodworking is you get to be creative. You're usually outside and if it's nice weather and every piece you make is like one of one, you know, it's from a certain tree that came from somewhere right. and came down and you're repurposing all, like all the wood I use is all repurposed from wood, uh, from trees that have fallen or are taken down that you repurpose instead of getting thrown in the trash or burned, you know, you, you do something with it. It's almost like you're letting it live on. And, um, yeah, I like to do that. I really enjoy it. It's it's not work to me. I really because I really enjoy it. So it's, it really doesn't feel like work. It's awesome to do. And so we're gonna let the the people understand exactly what that means because you, like we said, you've given a lot of time here, Mike. We appreciate it. You're getting the big plug at the end. Yeah. But we just did a podcast that outlined our most heartbreaking moments as fans, and you're talking to two guys who are massive sports fans have done nothing athletic in their life compared to what you've done we've worked in sports we work in sports if if we said what is your most heartbreaking sports moment as a fan that did not involve your own team what would that come back to and you can say there isn't one hmm. Hmm. were you a baseball guy basketball guy football guy um no i wasn't a football guy until i started uh fantasy game yes. changer um, I'm, um, ah, fuck, I don't even know. I'd probably have to say that Leaf series when Boston came back, <laughs> they were up 5-1 in the third period and came back. 4-1, you and four, me both, buddy. And I'm just like, oh, I, I was so like shocked. I'm like, how does this even happen? That's just total debacle right there. It was, that's gotta be one of the worst. I mean, I was out in UBC in Vancouver when they lost that finals playoff series when they, everyone rioted and stuff. That was pretty upsetting about the yep. rioting. Also then mm -hmm. losing, it would have been cool to see them be there for that. That, that uh, was Boston, Vancouver, that one. Yeah. Yeah. Ian, jump in. I, I mean, Hey, I had a, I had a lot of heartbreak. Um, I I'm glad that you can only think of one or two. That's good. Um, yeah. it means that you have more important things to do than to consume yourself with sports 
all the time. Yeah, I don't really like want do. No, it's good you get a break. Even with sports, like, yeah, it's like I'm in that every single day. So to be – it's almost like you're a massage therapist. You don't want to go home and give a massage to your wife. Like, I don't want to go home. And <laughs> a solid Seinfeld <laughs> reference there, Mike. Yeah. Um, so the one thing – so everyone at every level that I talk to um, – so when I talk to, you know, kids in junior or – uh, talk to kids who play college. They can always remember a guy. And we talked about it from the physical standpoint, but we can always, they can always remember a guy that they played against at whatever level that we're talking about and say, that is the best dude I've, I've been on the ice with. Is there anyone, and it doesn't even have to be the only in the NHL. Man. Say it again. Like skill wise, like that is the best. Yeah. Player. Like, is there anyone that you've been on the ice with and you're just like, holy shit, that dude is incredible at any level. Well, yeah, I mean, everyone in the NHL, right? NHL, everyone's like, just insane. Crazy. How about like, someone we've never heard of, Mike? Philip Forsberg was with us in Milwaukee too, and he was nasty. But um, hmm. there's a, a kid named Matt White that I played with in Milwaukee. He's from Omaha. He uh, is a roller hockey player. He grew up playing roller hockey, and you can Come tell on. on the ice. And he was one of the most skilled guys I've ever seen, like wiggling through his skates, like not even skating, like almost like you know rollerblading, like seat cutting and stuff. And he was just so sick. He was like a ball hockey player on the ice. He was he was good. But um, Sam Annis, one of the players I played with this year, is the leader of the AHL. He was nasty, and Jerry Mayhew too. But I don't know if there's one single guy I can like point out that was like nasty, like. I played with Steven Stamkos when I was in Meyer hockey. We played together Oof. on the Canadians, and he was sick, and he was playing a year up, too. Um, Come on. You've been on the ice with McDavid a few times. Yeah, I mean, McDavid from, with Biosteel Camp, of course. I remember during Biosteel Camp, we were playing a, like, keep-away game with Yari at the end there. And um, it was me and Connor left, and I went to poke the puck from him, and he stepped on my blade and fell back. And, like, the whole rink just paused. <gasps> and <Yeah>. I'm there. <laughs> <laughs> and on Twitter, it's like Mike Liambus just took it. Oh, God. I can like, Holy fuck, are you okay? Like, I felt so bad. But it's, it's nothing I can do. Like, Last question before we get to the quick hitters here, Mike. Obviously, you're, you, you play a tough style of hockey. Yeah. Are, you a t are you a talker too? No. I'll never talk. When I say trash talker. Silent assassin. Who, I the, love it. When I say trash talker, who's the first guy that comes to mind? Oh, fuck, trash talker. Is it, it's not Probably. gas. Is it gas? No, gas doesn't talk much shit. There's this kid, um, Matthew Tuzignon, I played with in Milwaukee one year. This French kid. He's maybe five foot nine, five foot ten, but like 160 pounds. So funny, this kid. Just, you can't even understand it. He's talking so fast. <laughs> He's so funny, okay? And he would go on the ice. He would get his ass kicked every fight. But he would go out there and just run his mouth. And guys want – I had to deal with them. Yeah, of course. He's running his mouth because you're on the Guys wanted to just fucking kill him, man. Like, guys wanted to rip his head off. Matthew well, That's my guy for that. Well, we're getting to our – we're at our quick hitters now, Mike. You've made it. Okay, cool. Quick hitters is this. We ask you a question. We got 10 questions. You can say, basically – the answer, answer or pass answer or pass or neither okay. okay ian you're up first okay you ready yeah is a hot dog a sandwich no veal or chicken veal blue jays or raptors blue jays i have to say blue jays lebron or jordan jordan you lived in nashville or played in nashville 
Favorite karaoke song? Ooh, probably, um, ooh. Simple Man, I would have to say. Okay. Favorite cheat meal? Um, probably mac and cheese with some boiled hot dogs. Wow. And, and, and ketchup and uh, probably Frank's Red on it, too. Wow. You're going to be or, best friends with Sean's son. Or, or Honey Nut Cheerios. I, I usually do Honey Nut Cheerios <laughs> at nighttime, usually a bowl of it or something. Okay. Uh, PlayStation or Xbox? Neither. I'm not, I, knew, I, haven't played, I knew I haven't that. Played, I haven't played games since N64 was the last system I played. I have, an, I, have a, I have an Xbox 360 Elite that I got in like 2012, 2010, and it's still in the box in my closet at my parents' room. I, I can't properly, I can't, we're going to pause on, on this for a second. I can't properly say to anyone that is going to listen how much better of a human that you are than me. I spend way too much time on that stuff. I can't, man. I just, I'm not good at it. And I just, like, there's just... You're a doer. Know. You like to go there's do stuff. Not, there's, not about, there's, not enough, there's not enough seconds in a day, you know, to fill up my shit. And I, I can't fill it up with, I, like, I don't have time to spend on video games. Right. Okay, if, you had to, if you had to choose a job in hockey, coaching or managing? Managing. Actually, coaching. Coaching, because you get to teach. This is a key one. Pineapple on pizza, yes or no? Yes. Ham and pineapple, yeah. Ham Best. and pineapple is amazing. I'm so disappointed. I, I, I love thought we it. had something. No, no. no. Best pasta shape. Oh, pasta shape. I, I mean, ugh, fuck. I'm going to say rigatoni. I love rigatoni. Oh, you lost, yes! me. You lost me. Well, either rigatoni or penne. I was going to say Yeah, penne. penne. Yeah, rigatoni is fat penne. I know. That's why you get more of it. It's nice. No, enough. <laughs> Last question, Ian. Last one. Would you come on this podcast again? Yes. That's my guy. Well, before you go, Mike. Again, really appreciate it, buddy. Yeah. Tell us about uh, tell us about Nomadic Designs. It's um, kind of it's lifted off the ground since Tamara has been taking over. She, she all the stuff you see, the branding, the social media, and everything. Stephen helped a bit with some branding stuff. Her and Tamara kind of got, or him and Tamara got together a bit. Um, she went to school for creative communications and marketing and stuff, so she's good at that. Um, so she's been doing all the social media branding, all the social media posts, all, everything on social media. And I basically do the woodworking and packaging. Um, but it's going well. I, I I still haven't been able to keep up with all the orders I've been getting. I've been uh, like I've been trying to stay, like get on top of them so that I can create an inventory so that when people order something, I can just ship it out the next day. And that's what I'm working towards. Um, but yeah, we, we don't know where it's going to go because we don't know what's happening with hockey. If I'm even going to be able to play next year with everything that's up in the air with the AHL and like the possibility of less teams, so less jobs. And they don't even have budgets to know what they can pay guys and stuff. So everything's just up in the air for hockey. So it's good that I have this going. This kind of took off for both of us on both of our ends um, because we had so much time with hockey not being around and, and mm -hmm. the quarantine we're at home. So it was kind of good in that regard where it took our minds off of all that because the first two weeks I was glued to TV and Twitter about all this stuff and I it was consuming me and and I just couldn't deal with it anymore so since like the first two weeks of the quarantine stuff happening I haven't even looked at numbers I haven't looked at news feeds nothing um, so we had time to do it and I've been investing a lot of my time in it and because I said like before like it's not work to me I absolutely if I could I would be down in my shop all day like doing it full-time if, if, if hockey wasn't an option, that's what I would jump into. And then 
I've signed up for fire, the firefighting festi uh, course uh, for next year to do so I can get certified. And if uh, that was my plan for after hockey was to become a firefighter because of the schedule and pay and like benefits and stuff. So right. I, basically my woodworking business um, when I'm not in the firehouse, which is you work 24, 48 hour shifts and you're home for like three to four days. So, well, if you're not making a fire, you're putting one out, Mike. Yeah. So yeah. Go check out. I think it's nomadic underscore nomadic. Design on Instagram. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Go yeah. check it out. We're going to put, this is going to be our first major ad from this yeah. podcast. So we're going to, we're going to have that on there. Make sure you check it out. Nomadic design sponsored podcast. <laughs> Mike Leambus. Thank you so much for coming on. Can't wait to talk to you again. We'll see you next time. Thanks guys. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure, man.